to our text for this morning to 1 Timothy chapter 5 and we're at verses 17 to 25 as uh, we conclude this particular chapter. 1 Timothy 5, 17 to 25. Hear the word of our Lord. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may fear. I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. Some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment. But those of some men follow later. Likewise, the good works of some men, of some are clearly evident, and those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. The grass withers, the flower fades. It is God's word alone that abides forever. And may he bring his blessing. Well, I know issues of church government aren't always uh, the favorite thought to, uh, to uh, hear and uh, to have preached to. Uh, but they are important concerning our lives and concerning uh, living godly lives within the confines of the church. And I think these words concerning elders and those who rule are even more important in our day and time. You all, I'm sure, understand how we live in unforgiving times. We live in an era where a new phrase, cancel culture, has arisen. It's a phrase that's come out within the last year and a half to two years. It's a phrase that expresses how the court of public opinion and social media frenzy come in and uh, come against an individual, an institution, or a corporation where they face an accusation that ends up destroying their personal life or family life or business or simply their honor before the whole of society. Cancel culture. You see it. And in this past week, I was reading of uh, these uh, three incidents where cancel culture came in and strive to ruin people, to ruin them personally and before the eyes of others. Some of you may have heard about a realtor in Sudbury. She shared the same name of a realtor in Texas. The realtor in Texas had gone to Washington, D.C. on that day of rampage, and she was identified. And this realtor in Sudbury and the business that she worked for started receiving all kinds of hate mail and, and texts and things like that. And there were, and, and, uh, they went on to Google to try and defame, 
the company that she worked for, even though she was uh, just sharing the same name of another person that they wanted to vilify. Some of you may know of Jessica Mulrooney, Ben Mulrooney, uh, the son of uh, Brian Mulrooney, a former prime minister. And she had her career destroyed by a BLM advocate, all because on Martin Luther King Day, she tweeted a text supporting Black Lives Matters and encouraging that, and was called out for her whiteness. (laughs) And her career was destroyed. She gained, this uh, BLM advocate gained such support on social media that uh, the news corporation that she worked for here in Canada let her go, would have nothing to do with it because of the scorn and contempt that was being leveled against them. And, and the, the reason this article was out this past week was because another news reporter was showing how unjust and unrighteous the claims against her were, and how it was, in fact, this other person who was out to get her and out to replace her. (laughs) Cancel culture. And another case of a church leader, and I'm not mentioning his name, but he made a passing comment on Twitter, and oh, has he ever been vilified. Now, maybe the comment wasn't wise. It's something, a matter of wisdom. I believe that in these times, I am extremely careful of what is being put out on Facebook, Twitter, and these platforms, simply because I know it doesn't just come back on me. It comes back on our church. It comes back on our presbytery. And I might want to comment on some of the injustices that are going around. And even as we put our, our messages on, on Facebook every Lord's Day, there is a caution that says that watch out how you can find your words so distorted. Doesn't matter if you're saying the right thing. Taken out of context and then used to counsel you. There is not much in the way of honor in these times. And, and I want to say, words are important. But the way and, and the manner in which people utilize the court of public opinion, honor for one another, has been supplanted. We must recognize that. Honor for one another has been supplanted. And even the due process has been overthrown for the sake of cultural narrative, pragmatic intolerance, postmodern activism. Those are things that are before us today. And, and when you hear these words from Paul addressing the church, I think he's aware of that. And how much more must we, the church, uphold honor in our midst and time? And that's why you see from chapter 5 down to the first two verses of chapter 6, Paul stresses about the exercise of honor to one another in verses 1 and 2. Honor to widows in verses 3 to 16. Here, honor to elders. And then that word elder that's utilized there is the Greek word presbyteros, presbytery. It's from 
from where we get our word for church governance. We are ruled by elders. What we call the divine rule of the church from God given to those uh, earthly and, yes, we'll say even weak men who come in the grace of Christ to shepherd His sheep. And as well, honor in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 6 where we're headed next week, honor to masters. And that's again another, another area where it is challenging. But his point being is that within the realm of church, honoring one another under the guise of the fifth commandment is something that we are called to do. Honor, honor, honor. And he gives us help in these verses to show us how we do that. But I want to reiterate again, contrary to our culture, contrary to the fallen wisdom of mankind, honor is not an earned grace. It is an exercised grace. It is something we are called to give. It is not something that we wait for to be earned. And we have to recognize that truth. We have to honor. We have to recognize the worth of one another and pay the respect and tribute that one another are due according to the grace of God at work in us. Even when those persons to whom we are called to honor, even when persons in places of privilege and position sin, even there, honor is not to be cast aside. And isn't that challenging? I mean, think about a parent who sins against their children. Does that mean at that point the child no longer has to obey, honor your father and mother? Even when the parent wrongly accuses a child, when there's multiple children present, parents know how hard it is to know who did what. And we get it wrong in our judgments. Does that mean that child no longer has to honor mom and dad? We know that's not the case. The commandment stands. We see that with David. In respect of Saul, and he even lays before Saul the errors of his judgments and the errors of his actions. But what did David say? I will not raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. I will honor the king. Even though he was under oppression. You see, honor does not get cast aside because we're suffering or we're treated unfairly or we're under some form of injustice. Biblically, we are called to honor. And and in this text, biblically, even when there is sin, we are called within the church to deal with such sin in a judicial way without casting aside honor. That's the thing. And the church must lead in this. 
Because we are here to serve God's glory, to uphold Christ's name and His kingdom in a day and age particularly where God's glory, Christ's name, and kingdom are so often marginalized. And we must do this in the sphere of the family and in the sphere of the church. How much more must we do this? And so these words come and they meet us. Honor your elders. And you see, that's the first point that's made in verses 17 to 20. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially uh, those who labor in word and doctrine. One of the things that we do in our circles is we look at this and understand in verse 17 that there are two categories of elders. They, they all uh, share in the same authority and oversight of the church. But there are those who, who rule, who oversee and help uh, the, the spiritual guidance of the church. But then there are those whom we look at as the pastor, the minister, who particularly labor in word and doctrine. And they have that extra duty of, of care and ministry to the church in that way. We're to honor them. Elders who rule well. Those who don't, as he says there, well, we're to deal with those issues. Not, again, not setting honor aside. But we are to honor elders. Why? Because they are stewards of God's house. Stewards of God's house. And and there it speaks of them who labor understanding that the work that they do is vital to the life of the church. That word labor, it's it's a word, it's different than just simply the word that's used for labor in, in the sense of going out and doing work. It is a word that's used to speak about the exhausting effort of their work. That this is hard work that they have been given to do. To do. And, and ruling, teaching, My friends, that is not an easy task. It is a labor, as we saw with with the apostles. The labor of, of prayer and the ministry of the Word was something that occupied a great deal of their attention such that they needed deacons to take care of other matters that they couldn't give themselves over to. And He calls us here to give double honor, a twofold honor. And some have often wondered, well, what does that mean? Well, uh, the text tells us that that double honor is, first of all, having a respect for these elders in their office. Giving the respect of those who are occupying this place of oversight and care and ministry of God's Word to your souls, helping you to mature in the Lord. Respect them. Give them that respect that is due. And my friends, when it comes to honoring your elders and respecting them in your office, it begins in your heart how you think on them. How you think about their work and responsibility to you. 
And it begins with your heart because you must receive this ministry coming to you as coming from Christ Himself. Christ has ordained this. These aren't things that the the apostles are doing simply to establish themselves. They recognize that Christ has called them forth. As Peter would say in 1 Peter 5 verse 1, I who am an elder among you, called of Christ. So these men have been. And recognizing that, it begins to temper your, your thinking on them. And it must begin there with that purposed, kind attitude toward them. Why? Because what is in your heart will come out in your words. <laughs> that connection between what comes out of our mouth and what is in our hearts is a real connection. And if you want your words to be kind and righteous, start with your heart. And that will help to guard how you speak of them to others. Parents, I've used this example before, but we all know what a what an attitude uh, arises when, when someone comes to our children and says to our children, you don't have to listen to your parents. We understand how demoralizing that is to that sphere of authority that God has given us. We understand when we hear the governments coming along, and this is the thing with Bill C-6, and the government saying that we will take your children if you're not affirming of these changes that need to happen in their life. You understand what that, what that feels like when, when your authority is cast aside for someone else to rule, and usually it's self-rule that takes over. Well, this is what is being guarded here when you respect and honor the office of elder within the church. Because not only are your heart and words to be, to be in tune with this, your heart and your words will then come out in your actions. And the greatest action that God calls for, and I say this, I say this beyond, beyond measure for everyone to grasp, the one thing that the Lord will, will uphold and give grace is when the humility of submission to those who are ruling over you in Jesus' name, when that submission comes from you. That Christ Himself has said, I will honor that in your life. And respecting the office, honoring the office begins with with this submission to their leadership and their oversight and care. Isn't that what Hebrews 13, 17 says? Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief. Why? Because it will be unprofitable for you. (laughs) God cannot honor an unsubmissive spirit in that that way. As he says, 
I give grace to the humble. I resist the proud. And you see how it is unprofitable for you when that unsubmissive spirit begins to rise up. Respect their office because they watch for your souls. And that's why that phrase there, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor. That you're to honor the office. We're going to get to that in a moment. But honor the men who are serving in that office. Not just the office. Because it will be, in contrast, it will be profitable for your soul. The Lord is looking out for your maturing and for your faith to mature and grow. And the the second way you honor is by supporting them financially. Because that word honor that is used here, and as it comes out in in verse 18, it's realizing that especially those who labor in word and uh, who who give themselves over to the doctrine and, and teaching of the church, need that support because this is not just a high calling, but it is a demanding calling. It's the same thing as with widows. They were honored by supporting and and helping them along financially. Well, so it is with some of these elders who are ruling well. Honor them by caring for them. And he uses two texts, one from the Old Testament, one from the New. It's interesting when it says, for the Scripture says... And some of you who have the red letter editions will see that the labor is worthy of his wages. Um, I'm not a fan of red letter Bibles, but because all of it is God's word, not just what Jesus spoke. But it does take us to the words of Christ himself, spoken in his earthly ministry, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verse 7. And and you see what, what Paul says to Timothy. Luke's Gospel is Scripture. <laughs> it is Scripture. It's, it's not self-affirming. It's recognizing the words of the Holy Spirit. And Deuteronomy 25 comes from that argument of the lesser to the greater. You know how cruel it is to muzzle an ox while he's treading out the grain. He's, he's working hard. He's going around in circles. He's trying to bring forth that which will help you. And you put a muzzle on him? <laughs> Well, that will drive him crazy. No, let the ox eat. The amount that he would eat would be so small in comparison to the work he's doing for you. And so that command comes. Don't muzzle the ox while it treads out the grain. Let him eat as he is providing for you. Well, from the lesser to the greater, how much more? Those who labor in God's word for your soul. And Jesus, in Luke 10, He sent out those 72 to serve the gospel in the kingdom of God. And that's when He says, they're worthy of their wages. So when you go, let let the people you minister to honor you in supporting and meeting your needs. So, that's the second part of honor. But the third part comes in honoring them, as you see in in verses uh, 19 and 20, is that you are honoring by upholding their character. Now, elders are not above the law, as verse 20 makes it clear. 
But it is a fact, as, as verse 19 comes before verse 20, it is a fact that elders come under far greater social scrutiny. They come under more attacks from Satan and they are far more liable to false accusations. And we know what false accusations do. They generate long-lasting gossip and slander. And that's why these words are, are stressing even more than what God said in, in Deuteronomy 19.15 when He said that if you're, if you're going to convict someone of a crime or of a sin, then that conviction needs the testimony of two or three witnesses. Well, here, He says, it's not about conviction. That before you even entertain an accusation, two or three witnesses hold their character. Do you know what it's like? Do you know what it's like? When someone comes along and says to you after God's word has been preached, well, you know, that wasn't a good sermon. I've had, on occasion, I've had those times when standing at the door, I've had, uh, this happened twice that I, that I can think of very clearly. But it was one person comes and says, Pastor, that wasn't a good sermon. And so you're standing at the door and you got more people that you're greeting and, and that, and they just do that in passing and they say, well, we'll come over and talk about it. And then the next person comes along and, and says, Pastor, that was a great sermon. <laughs> and then the next person came along and said, thank you for the word. A little indifferent to it all, but three different responses. Do you know what's so... I was, I was glad that each one said it to me. But do you know what it is when you go and you say to someone, you know, all that work they did this past week wasn't, didn't, didn't show, didn't show. It's like the birds that come sweeping down after the seed has been sown and it's on that hard path and those very words become words of Satan to steal away the Word of God from those who have heard it. How we must guard not just the office, but guard the character of the man in the office. Not entertaining accusations, unless there are two or three witnesses. And then verse 20, if they are sinning, rebuke them in the presence of all. You see, they're not set above the law, but it is an office to be, to be guarded and their character to be upheld. And, and, and if they are sinning, then they need to be rebuked in the presence of everyone. Because the fact that they are due special protection from false accusations makes their sins all the more reprehensible. The Lord will bring it out. Didn't we see that between David and Saul? Didn't David, saying to Saul what he said in the presence of all, that rebuke, didn't it make Saul's actions to David look reprehensible? Well, that's their the due process, the court that exercises that. Their discipline is made all the more public because of their position. Honor them. 
And you know, my friends, the reality is that the Lord Jesus Himself, the great shepherd of the sheep, He endured all these three things. He had many who treated Him with contempt. I mean, He came as the mediator of His people and He fulfilled that mediatorial work in His office as a prophet and as a priest and as a king. And, and, and was He revered by the people? Well, a few. But so many held Him in contempt. And what do we read of Him concerning His earthly needs? He had no place to lay his head. He endured false accusations and was convicted by false accusations. He endured even the sins of his apostles. He endured Judas. He endured Peter. And he did this because what he was relying upon was the grace of his heavenly Father to exalt him in due time. That the minister is not looking to this and coming with a lording hand upon the people of God saying, Submit, I'm the Lord's anointed. No, this is a call to the church. And the minister is called to serve in this role in the humility of Christ. Knowing that whatever works he has done will be brought forth in the day of judgment. The minister is here to serve in the same humility that you are called to exercise in submission. He's not above any one of you in that way. Relying on the grace of God to keep him. And very quickly, for the remainder of those verses, it's about guarding the office. And Paul says there in in verse 21, a, a severe charge, an oath is made before God, the Lord Jesus, and elect angels, that you observe these things, and you observe them without favoritism. There's a higher court that has been put into place which will judge all of these things, and every one of us will stand and give an account. And so, elders, understand this congregation, elders have a higher standard to which they are held. That even if they fail in certain measures, even if you feel like they are are not upholding their work at some point, understand, as James says, that they will receive a stricter judgment. It doesn't mean you throw aside honor because you don't like the man. There is a guarding of the office that needs to be had. Respecting it. And I say this because we live in a time where there are many Christians who live outside of the care and the realm of oversight of God's earthly shepherds because they had a bad experience in church. That is never a reason to leave the visible church. It is hard. God is the one who will sort out matters that our earthly court systems within the church struggle to do. It doesn't mean we cast off honor. Rather, we recognize as he closes there, 
Our time is on us, so I'm bringing it to a conclusion. But we recognize some men's sins are clearly evident. Some men hide them well enough, but they will come out. Why? Verse 24, why? Because God has said, be sure your sins will find you. They will. They will come out. And in that case, when their sins come out, then you understand that this is not a man who should be in such a place, in such an office. But the flip side, some of the men who served, their their good works are clearly evident and others are diamonds in the rough. (laughs) But they will come out. And you were, you're to be looking for their good works and recognizing this is a man to whom the Lord has called me to submit with my eyes upon Christ. And, oh Lord, grant the grace that we need to do this. Let us pray.